Transcripts and recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner. Welcome to Light It Up, a podcast about resilient women balancing motherhood, their careers, personal lives, and all of the challenges that come along with being a superwoman. Each week, you'll be motivated to take action to lead, inspire, transform, and empower. Now, here's your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Light It Up. I am your host, Dr. Agina Mashira. This week's episode of Light It Up is going to be a little bit different because it's I'm turning the tables around this week. I am going to be the guest on my podcast and my wonderful cousin, Kashana Island, is going to be the host This week, we have decided that um, I'm going to talk about my book, Women Who Persevere, Navigating Motherhood with Power and Grace. And obviously, I can't interview myself. (laughs) And Kashana did such a wonderful job as the moderator during my book launch that I couldn't think of a better person to serve as the host and to interview me this week. So I am going to turn it over and be in the seat as the guest on Light It Up. I hope you enjoy the show. Yay, thank you so much for a wonderful introduction and for entrusting me with your podcast today, Agina, Dr. Ajina Muhammad. Um, so let's just jump right in. Um, I know that this all started with your book, as you mentioned, which I believe you released two years ago. Was yeah. It? Um, March 2019 is when I released uh, Women Who Persevere. Can't believe it's wow. <laughs> yes. Um, so if you can just, for those people who may not have read the book yet, if you could just give them a quick little insight into um, what the book was about mm-hmm. and how you came up with the idea for this book. Okay. So the book actually Um, features the the true story and journey of six women, including myself, who are all single moms, and they share their experiences as they have navigated motherhood, being a single parent. Um, The primary reason why I wrote the book is because, or the reason why I wanted to write this book and interview um, and tell the stories of other women is because I, as you know, I am divorced and I've shared this on the podcast plenty of times. I've been divorced for about almost eight years now. And um, that was a struggle for me as far as making the decision to file for a divorce because I didn't want to basically raise my children in a single parent household. And um, during the time of, you know, just right after my divorce, I just kind of felt like there was always this attack on single mothers as far as some of the plight and the conditions of our communities. And I wanted to show a different narrative um, for people because oftentimes when you're looking at um, posts on social media or whatever you hear in the media, um, you know, you hear about um, there's 
no man in the home or the father's not involved or um, it's, uh, you know, mothers aren't able to raise their sons to be respectful, you know, resourceful young men, et cetera. So I really wanted to share the positive stories of women who, though they, they struggled a bit and they had various reasons for um, embarking upon their journey of being a single mother, but they all, you know, even through the trials and tribulations, did a great job raising their children. So I wanted to be able to show the positive um, aspect and also to try to, um, I guess, begin a dialogue and conversation between men and women, mothers and fathers, just about parenting and the importance of co-parenting. Okay. Now, um, some of the things you just said kind of reminded me of one thing that you stated in the book, mm -hmm. um, which was that you did not want to be like just another statistic, or I think one of your children might have said that. Yeah. And so I think that um, if you could talk about how there have been some positive outcomes. So we know we're two years out from the book being released, but we're also several years, several years out from some of the um, stories that were told in the book. Right. So can you yeah. speak to the successes, not all of them, obviously, but just some of the successes that stand out with yourself and your own family, as well as um, some of the other mothers who shared their stories in the book and how their children are succeeding now. Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, two of the um, the ladies who shared their stories actually are, they're our cousins. Um, and I had an opportunity uh to interview them as well. So they'll have um, their time on the podcast. But um, for example, our cousin Deatra, um, she has two daughters. Um, and when the book was released, her oldest daughter was on her way to um, a four-year institution. She had already gone to a community college to earn her associate's degree. So she's preparing, you know, for her fi final year of college of earning her BA. Her youngest daughter, Aaliyah, who happens to share the same name <laughs> as my daughter, Aaliyah, um, she is actually graduating on May 21st from high school right. and preparing to go to college. Um, and, and she had a very unique uh, story. Um, I, I would say that the commonalities that all of us shared um, is that although we were all of different religious beliefs, practices, and faith, um, our faith was very important to us and our families, our parents in particular, were very religious or, you know, religiously inclined. And, you know, for some of us, you know, being considered maybe a preacher's kid or a deacon's kid or what have you, there are certain stigmatisms that are placed upon you, especially if you're a single mother. So for, um, at least three or four of us in the book, um, being a single mother was something that we struggled with because of what other people may say or what have you. So we have to even get through those hurdles. Um, another person, my friend Leslie, who I attended college with, her daughter is now in college as well. She is entering, I think she just completed her second year um, in college. So she's away at school. And then um, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> I guess I should talk about myself. My twins, uh, Aliyah and Kamal will be 17 next month. 
they are wrapping up their junior year of high school. So we are preparing to apply to colleges and they'll be leaving the nest in 2022. So I'm counting down for that. My youngest, and they're both working, um, doing well in school despite the pandemic. And then my youngest is graduating from eighth grade in a few weeks. And so she'll be a freshman. Um, so I'm in the house outnumbered with three teenagers. <laughs> now that's exciting though. And, and I know that um, all of those are great accomplishments, definitely to be celebrated. And one thing you are being kind of modest with regards to your children. So I do have a bird's eye view. Um, you did not mention that you've got students taking AP classes and honors and that your youngest daughter is like super ambitious mm -hmm. uh, with regards to kind of the little friendly competition. Did you want to just oh, yeah. give a shout out to how well they're actually doing? Yeah, so I'll start with Khalees. Khalees had this goal when she entered middle school that she was going to get straight A's. Now I will say she she started out on the right track and she's still doing well. She did get a B in a class, but she had this goal where she wanted to outdo her brother and sister. Um, Kamal and Aaliyah are both taking AP and honors classes. And, you know, for um, for young men, especially young black men in particular, um, you know, my experience has been unique in that because I have boy-girl twins, I can see firsthand um, certain, I guess, roadblocks that may be um, placed before my son in particular. So it's been very important for me to step in and advocate and to make sure that if there are any type of roadblocks where I see that you are actually setting one child up um, for success, meaning my daughter, and trying to um, hold my son back, you know, that's something that I can see firsthand. We talk about it, we see it oftentimes in the, um, we may see it in different research studies or what have you, or anecdotally, we know that this exists, but I've been able to see it firsthand. And so I've made sure that my presence is known. Um, they're at one of the best high schools in the South suburbs of Chicago, but even still the inequities that exist for young black men, um, it's prevalent even in a community like where we mm -hmm. live. Um, so I am known at their high school um, and I, I'm, I'm proud to say that my son, despite what teachers may have thought or may have assumed, oh, well, we don't want him to have too much of a heavy workload junior year. So we are not gonna recommend him for AP or honors. He has absolutely, I'm gonna say he's surprised me to be quite honest, um, just because he's very laid back in his personality. Um, but he's done a really great job and I'm really proud of him because I think it's so important um, to make sure black, young black males are, if they have the ability to succeed, we need to make sure that we support that um, and not allow others to kind of have them tracked on a certain, on a certain path. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, 
Now, I know that one of the reasons that you wanted to kind of turn the tables and be the interviewee mm-hmm. is that you wanted people to um, share your journey yeah. and to, you've always been very transparent, but you want people to kind of have a more intimate look into your life. And I know people are always asking you, how do you do it? How do you do it? Mm-hmm. So you did just briefly mention how you are very present um, at their schools and mm-hmm. you always have been. Mm-hmm. So I want to know that, and I don't know, I'm sure most people who know, you know, you are super, you've always been super ambitious. I always, when I introduce you, you know, I always <laughs> introduce you as my cousin who graduated high school in three years and college in three years and became a doctor and did law school and all this stuff. I'm always like big up in you, right? <laughs> so, and then also your background is in education, mm-hmm. um, organizational development, leadership, academic and life coaching, advocacy, and of course, parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, with that resume Mm -hmm. and also your own experiences how do you as a mother as a now divorced mother Mm -hmm. um how do you express the importance of education to your children such that they are performing the way they are Mm -hmm. without being overbearing but also without being too lax because we know it could go either way right just kind of like how you said a preacher's kid right it could be too much and they can rebel or it could be not enough and then they're kind of underperforming so how do you balance that and give them all what they need and also be present and still you're not a stay-at-home mom you are working full-time as well so how do you make it happen let me get my pen so I can (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna tell you to be perfectly honest it is it's difficult um I often get pushback from all of them, to be perfectly honest. Um, Yeah, I get pushback because sometimes depending on what kind of mood they're in, and I guess I have to be mindful that, you know, everybody has a mood, right? So there are times where I could talk about um, a class assignment or something that they need to do. And it's like, really? I mean, just today I I mentioned something and Aaliyah said, I mean, I can't even just watch this video on my phone. We always got to talk about school. So it's like, okay. So then I'll step back a little bit and then I'll wait. I'll give them an opportunity to kind of think about it and then let them come to me. Mm -hmm. And I won't dish out what they've dished out to me. It depends on what kind of mood I'm in too. So I, I mean, I can be moody, you know, um, but I will always follow up with, I am trying to help you, you know, and the one thing that I say, and it may aggravate, aggravate them, but I'll say to them sometimes, well, I mean, I have my degrees. Yeah, I, I use that as well. And they just, they don't care. They're not yeah. mine. Are. <laughs> They're like, we didn't ask to be born. <laughs> but, um, but I do tell them like, I'm trying to help you. Um, if you follow, you don't have to be like me because that was also another conversation that we would often have um, because I did have um, all of my children and the youngest is getting ready to go to summer school as well. So she'll start off freshman year in summer school. 
And my son would say to me, you've made us go to summer school every year since seventh grade. Like, can we get a break? I'm like, no, I'm trying <laughs> to save you time. Mm-hmm. You you have time to have a break. And I and my father used to always say that to me as well about I'm trying to save you time um, mm-hmm. so that when you're an adult, you can do whatever it is that you want to do. There's plenty of time to play, travel, you know, have fun or what have you. And so I have set them up to whereas currently entering into their senior year, they only need technically one class to graduate because they're taking one of their required classes this summer, which is an econ course. The only class that they need to graduate is English. So all of the other classes that they're taking entering into their senior year is really just going to help support whatever it is that they decide to do when they enter college. Um, That's what I told them. I said, you know, I did this so that, you know, we can just kind of set you up for success in terms of being able to pick and choose electives or different classes that you may be interested in as you prepare uh, for college. But it's often um, hard um, as we're going through this college application process or getting ready to enter into that season. I have, I've had to learn to back up a little bit as well with that and recognize that their school year isn't over. They have two and a half more weeks. They still have, you know, AP exams that they have to take. Mm-hmm. This took the SAT and the ACT. So I do recognize that they're burned out. So I'm trying to, you know, I'll say something and then I'll say when you're ready. So I'm learning that balance, which is really hard because I grew up in a household where it was kind of like you did whatever your parents said. And I know that in our new age parenting, you know, we we give our children a voice. Whereas mm-hmm. when we were growing up, I know I didn't have a voice when I was growing up, you know. Um, so I do try to give them a voice, but let there be some balance. But it can be a challenge. And then I sometimes um, work myself up stressing out too much because I'm constantly thinking and in planning mode that it's like, okay, at some point you've got to relax, so. Yeah, and you know, you know that you've done a good job so far raising them and that they, they're still children, you know, there's, they're still, there's still a component that, you know, there's their age factor, but they right. are still doing well. Well, I want to um, just say real quick though, <laughs> One thing, um, just this week, my son's best friend um, said to his mother, so my my children's friends, their close friends, call me Auntie Agina. I'm everybody's auntie. <laughs> and um, so Randall said, um, can you just call Auntie Agina and ask her what I'm supposed to do for college? Like, what should I be doing right now? And so I went back and I told my son, I said, now see, your friend doesn't even live here and he knows who he needs to call. He, you know, <laughs> and so he just got really yeah. quiet and was like, mm. so I just, you know, sometimes I have to use psychology. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's just dig into some other topics. We had a nice intro into um, the children. Mm-hmm. Um, so this whole, let's grab my book so that people, I'm, I'm plugging the book. Yeah. Go get your copy if you haven't gotten it. And here's my copy. <laughs> <laughs> um, the whole reason that 
that book was inspired was your divorce, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. Now, I know when you said you were starting this podcast, a lot of us thought, okay, good. Now she's going to share some divorce planning tips and how to get your money right if you're preparing to divorce or if you're in the process. And that's something that you haven't really dug into right. on the podcast. There have been a variety of wonderful topics, you know, mm -hmm. for men and women. Mm -hmm. Can we take a moment, because everybody has been just amazed at how you were able to plan and definitely persevere through some very uncomfortable times, I think about a year after the divorce, you know, where you had a, a untraditional living arrangements. How did you prepare financially? And I know it's a short, it's an hour long podcast. Yeah. You can't give us everything, but, you know, some tips for women who may be staying in a situation because they don't see a way out financially. Right. Yeah. So when I was, um, and it's interesting how it sounds when you say that I planned my divorce and I guess, I mean, <laughs> no. I mean people get the wrong idea. Right. But here's <laughs> the thing though, seriously, we plan a wedding or we mm -hmm. plan trips. So that is a life changing decision. And I didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, I don't think I want to be married anymore. I really didn't. Um, to be perfectly honest, I actually knew before I got married that I shouldn't be getting married, but I was too embarrassed or worried about what other people were going to think. And I was just like, you know what? And because my parents and my family really liked my ex-husband, um, mm -hmm. part of it was because he was a Muslim as, you know, um, I am. And I have learned, honestly, that does not matter. I mean, sure, you should be probably equally yoked or on the same page when it comes to relationships, but that is not going, I don't believe, it's not my experience, that that is going to sustain a relationship. Because even though you may have um, the same um, religious beliefs or practices, you're not on the same page in terms of goals, communication, mm -hmm. honesty, that sort of thing that just, I'm sorry, goes out the window. But so there were years prior to me actually filing for a divorce that I contemplated a divorce, but like we mentioned earlier, I didn't want to be a statistic, right? I didn't mm -hmm. want to raise my children by myself because my parents were still married. Um, and I was also, I was working on my PhD. I just finished my PhD and I just re-entered the workforce um, because I'd taken some time off. I had been laid off from my job at Chicago Public Schools um, when I decided to begin working on my PhD. And when my ex-husband asked me if I wanted a divorce, I didn't ask him, he asked me. And I said, yes, I do. And he was not expecting that response. And I knew he wasn't going to file. But I think that he assumed that I wasn't going to file either. And I was just saying, you know, because I had previously stated when we um, had difficulties in our marriage and I wanted to end it, you know, mm -hmm. previously, um, Basically, I told him that the only reason why I'm still married is because I have three children with you. Mm -hmm. So I decided that basically I had gotten to the point where 
I knew that this was not a way that I can continue to live my life because we had been married at that point for 10 years when he asked if I wanted a divorce. And I decided I got to find a job that's going to provide excellent benefits. Um, And I had to take a quote unquote pay cut from the job that I had had previously, you know, even with a, even with a PhD, but I was willing to do that because in my mind, I knew I could just eventually work, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's something about when a woman's mind is made up. Yes. And, you know, we will persevere, we will go through some stuff with you. But when we reach that breaking point, it's like we kick into just strong woman mode where, you know, we're going to make, we're, I'm going to find a way. Exactly. You don't always know, but you know, you're going to make it happen. Exactly. And that's where I was. And I, and I prayed about it and I was just like on this mission, let me find a perfect, you know, job. And at that time, the way my mind was thinking, um, because I was already in higher ed. So at that time I was actually, um, an adjunct uh, faculty member at South Suburban Community College. And I knew I wanted to be at a four-year institution, um, and so I started thinking about like, when was the, the time that I was the most happiest in my life? And honestly, it was when I was an undergraduate student at UIC and I saw the perfect job. I'll never forget. It was in December of 2012 and they did not call me for an interview. I applied for the position. They did not call me until March, 2013. Oh, Wow. But I rocked the interview. Then they call, I started working May 20th, 2013 at UIC. And my reasoning for wanting to be at that particular institution, even though, you know, the position was ideal that I, that I had, but I either assumed at the time that my children could go to school for free, mm-hmm. which that is not true. You get a 50% tuition waiver, but 50% is Excellent. nothing, right? Mm-hmm. But that's what I was thinking about. I was thinking about, okay, I'm going to be a single mother of three. I want them to go to college. How am I going to pay for them to go to college? I need to work at an institution where they could potentially go to school for free is the way I was, my brain was, was working. So even that was a part of the plan, like trying to think long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just being strategic in everything that I do, because my ex-husband um, chose not to participate in the divorce either. So I got, I secured an attorney um, some people say, well, you could have done it yourself. I was not taking any chances, mm-hmm. um, but he didn't participate in the process, which as I think about it and just thinking about how our dynamics were in our marriage, although we have been married for, um, 10, 10 years at that time, we only had a, a joint checking account together because he never wanted to have a savings account together which really bothered me when we were married. But when my attorney told me that was actually a blessing, we didn't have any credit cards together, any of that. So I was able to just walk away. We didn't have to spend time fighting over who gets the asset, right? Mm -hmm. I was, and my married name was my last name. So I didn't have to, you know. Yeah. So there were certain things that I just started to put in place in in terms of, you know, securing um, a job that was going to 
helped me to be financially stable. I paid off my bills. Um, I did have help. So, I, you know, my dad did help me pay off my bills, but I, you know, and just so that I could make a, a financially sound decision to exit. Now, I didn't tell my father initially, like, this is what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. But he knew that, you know, I had just completed my PhD or what have you. And he was like, you know, do you need help? And normally I would say <laughs> no. And I said yes, because I knew I didn't need a financial burden of, you know, any type of credit card debt or what have you, Mm -hmm. if I'm going to eventually, you know, be on my own. And I think that sometimes that's oftentimes that's where we don't think that process through because you're only thinking about either you have to exit, but it is very important to make sure as much as you can that you pay down your debt. And then that you start transitioning your thought process and your spending habits to one income because that's what it's going to be. You no longer have the second income to rely on. You can't rely on child support all the time and alimony and all that, especially women who, you know, are dealing with men who aren't necessarily working. You just so many different situations. You absolutely cannot rely on that because even when my divorce was finalized, with three children, I my child support payments initially was $150 every two weeks. So that's $300 a month. Oh my gosh. For three children. Wow. Yeah. And that's being married. That's not even, you know, wow. And even now, I don't get you know, when I hear other people, and I mean, I won't disclose where my ex-husband mm-hmm. works and mm-hmm. how much money he makes, but I will tell you, he has over the last eight years tried to find every reason why child support should be reduced. And I know people who have one child who get twice as much as what I currently get for three. And it's unfortunately yeah. has been an ongoing battle in and situation with us we're we're in court right now mm-hmm. unfortunately so so thinking also about making that transition so you all were in a home mm-hmm. um and then obviously you're no longer living in the same home so right. um what kind of insight can you give to women who are also facing divorce or mm-hmm. who may not be married but they're going to be splitting from their partner Mm -hmm. um, with how to make that transition from being in the same home to purchasing another home or just trying to get the best type of situation. Like, like you said, you're a planner. So I know you thought about school districts, you have to move to a different school district and also what you can afford and security, all types of things. So Mm -hmm. walk us through like what was going on in your mind as you were making that decision. Yeah. So here's a couple of things I had to I had to downgrade, so to speak. We we were living in, we were in the South suburbs. Um, and let me set this up for you all because we were living in a house that actually was about probably 4,500 square feet. So in his mind, we could have continued. If, if, it, if I would have been okay with it, we would probably still be living in the same house and divorced. And he was in the basement. I, the children, I had the first two floors and he was in the basement, but that was just, 
uncomfortable, right? It was very confusing probably for the children. Yeah. And I think they were nine and six when our divorce was finalized. Um, So the things that were important to me where even though I knew we were gonna, I was gonna have to like bring it down a notch. Um, it was still important for me to make sure that my children had their own bedroom because that's mm-hmm. what they had. There. Like I didn't want to have too much of a transition, but all of the extra space that we had previously, like I found a house that um, was, I think, just the right size for us because we didn't need all of the extra space and. The property taxes were much cheaper. Like you got to look into that, Um, Mm -hmm. especially when you're in the state of Illinois, because in certain areas, the property taxes are just absolutely um, outrageous. Um, The other things that, you know, you have to take in consideration, what are all of the extras that you can or cannot afford? Can you afford cable? Can you afford internet? You know, you got to think about all of that. So you definitely have to, Um, Make sure that you budget um, and determine what you can afford um, because you also have the situation where it's just your income. So if something happens, do you have enough savings, you know, to cover you should something happen? Do you have any additional, um, any means for additional income to bring in? what I did, what helped me during that time was I also worked a part-time job. I don't talk about this often, um, but I was teaching online part-time and that almost in some ways turned into a full-time job trying to teach online mm-hmm. because although I was teaching maybe two classes per term, that was still like 30 hours a week on top of my 40 hour work weekday. But that worked for me because wherever I was, I could have my laptop. I didn't have Mm -hmm. to physically go to a location to work, but you do have to think about Sometimes you may have to take on an extra job, but you have to think about, is it something where you can work an extra job and still make sure you're there for your children? Or do you have, you know, a family member who can maybe keep your children or a good friend where you guys can, um, share in the, in the responsibilities of watching each other's children, you know, that sort of thing. So having a really good support system of friends and family who will be willing to work with you and help you is also very important. This is going through a divorce is not something that you can do alone, even though you may want to keep what you're going through private, but it's really important to have somebody that you can rely upon because there are going to be days where you just need that extra support, you know, whether it's a shoulder to cry on or what Mm -hmm. have you, or somebody to, you know, give you ideas, or they may know somebody else who can help you with part-time employment to help supplement, you know, your income. And then you, again, you have to also um, take into consideration, again, your spending habits as well, like the spending habits have to change. Um, otherwise, you're gonna find yourself stressed out from the financial burdens. And, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, I don't have the stressors because I do, um, but I've just, you know, kind of learned how to navigate some things and, and pull on some additional resources when needed. 
So I know nobody goes into marriage thinking about divorce. We, you know, they go to counseling, so they try to kind of prepare them. To, but with that being said, now that you're well on the other side, like you've been divorced almost as long as you had been married at this point, you're approaching that point. Yeah. What are three takeaways that you would give to women who are at the height of their in loveness, mm-hmm. <laughs> entering into marriage or considering marriage or brand new, not to be considering divorce, but to prepare themselves just so, like what do moms always used to say? You got to have a little something to the side just in case, or, you know, so yeah. what would be your tips kind of along those lines of just always being prepared as a woman? Yeah. So for absolute certain, I will say you should always maintain your own bank account. Mm-hmm. Still, of course, have your joint account with your spouse, have your household account or what have you. But it is very important that you still maintain an individual account because you do not want to, A, pull all of your financial resources that you brought into the marriage and co-mingle it. And then you can't get access to it when you need it. And it, you know, was money that you Mm -hmm. contributed. So I would say definitely maintain your own, um, still have your separate account. I would also honestly um, recommend to keep, if you can, most of your credit card accounts separate mm-hmm. as well. So that still goes into the financial piece um, mm-hmm. and, not, and, and not because you are planning for a divorce, but because it will make things um, a lot simpler when you're trying to figure out, you know, you don't have to go through, okay, whose debt is this and who's responsible for mm-hmm. this. So you know, to that end, certain things I just believe should be kept, you know, separate. Um, I would also recommend, um, so I want to touch upon, even in my marriage uh, to my ex-husband, we went through counseling and counseling did not work because both parties weren't um, on the same page with that. I was pro- I was the advocate for let's go through counseling and see if we could work this out. And he was very apprehensive. So wasn't really willing to do the work, but I definitely would recommend going through counseling, premarital counseling. And then even when you're married, um, if, if needed and if agreed upon, counseling wouldn't hurt either. But you know, the communication piece just really needs to, regardless whether you're mm-hmm. staying in a marriage or not staying in marriage, communication is still important, bottom line. I think the other thing is um, don't lose yourself That's a in the relationship. Um, you know, I got married, I think, I think I was 23 going on 24. Because had we remained married this year would mark 19 years. So I think that's right. I always, sometimes I forget how old I am and then I have to actually do the math. (laughs) But um, don't ever lose yourself in a relationship. And here's the other thing. Don't rely on your partner to be the source of your happiness either. 
I think sometimes as women, you know, we take on so much in terms of being that um, caretaker for our partner, for our children, and we're always putting everybody else's needs before ourselves, that then we lose ourselves and forget who we are and forget, you know, what makes us happy and what makes us who we are. And I think it's very important that you know, we may maintain to a certain degree your individual identity, but you can still obviously, you know, have another identity with your spouse. But I think that's important because when you go through um, a divorce, you know, number one, that's the death of a marriage. So there's also this grieving process that you're going to go through that people don't think about. And you oftentimes have to rediscover who you are because you've probably lost yourself in that marriage or that relationship. Yeah, and then, your identity changes too, right? You're not just a gene of the individual, you're a gene of the wife. So that exactly. becomes part of your identity. Exactly. And so do you know who you are outside of being somebody's wife? And I know- That's something we've been taught to aspire to, our generation. I think- Generations after us, totally different story, but our generation was definitely taught to aspire to become married. Yeah, yeah. And so when you're like me in your mid forties, early to mid forties or whatever I am. <laughs> Let's call it early. Early forties, that's right. Cause I'm gonna be in my early forties for about another 10 years. <laughs> so when you're in your <laughs> early forties and you know, I was somebody's wife, I'm somebody's mother okay, well, who am I now? Who am I outside of those people? Mm -hmm. So it's important to make sure that you stay in tune with who you are and your identity. That's great advice, definitely. And I would say it's great advice even for um, single people who are in relationships, not even necessarily um, down the path to marriage yet. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so when you first for divorce you said that if it were left to your ex-husband you perhaps would still be living together in your uh, marital home yeah. um that kind of makes me think about the whole co-parenting like I think if you guys could have gotten along that might have made co-parenting a little bit easier um I don't know so that's like a relatively I look at everything like it just happened last year. I was going to say co-parenting is like a relatively new term, but we've been yeah. using that term for probably about a decade now, yeah. right? Uh -huh. So um, let's talk about what co-parenting looks like, right? So everybody oh, says yeah. they want to co-parent. Mm -hmm. Ideally, so I'm I'm asking you as Dr. Muhammad, who's get done research and has some background in this, ideally, what would co-parenting look like? Mm -hmm. And then in reality, what does co-parenting look like and how do we bridge that? Like, how do we develop solid and um, positive, thriving co-parenting experiences so that the children are actually benefiting and the parents are having a, a good life too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm, let me think about that. So here is the reality. I'm going to say this because, so in my conversations with people, 
I've heard things like, like I've, I've done a couple of mom talks where I talk about like planning, um, you know, for a divorce or what have you. And there are times that I have heard married women who say, well, I'm married, but I feel like I'm single because I do all of the work. Mm-hmm. And single mothers will get very upset when a married woman says that because what they're thinking is, well, it's too, you know, you got somebody else in the household. Well, I actually, I've, I lived that. So that's why I'm bringing it up. When I was married, I was responsible for um, focusing in on education. So meeting with teachers for parent-teacher conferences, even though I would want him there, mm-hmm. you know, he may show up you know, or he was late or what have you. But like for me, I wanted the teachers to see there are two parents in the home who Mm -hmm. have a concern about the children's education. But that was left to me. Um, My son was on travel baseball. Even when we were married, that was left up to me. My youngest daughter, uh, no, his twin sister was playing the piano. The youngest daughter was in dance. All of the activities, anything that was centered around the rearing of children, was left up to me. And it was very overwhelming. Um, And when he showed up, it was often, you know, he's coming from work. Um, So for me, I always felt like work was the priority over the family. There was Mm -hmm. not the balance. And um, so he just didn't, you know, he wasn't an active participant. He was there, he was in the home. Um, sure, there were some days that maybe he would cook dinner because we also had like uh, certain differences in, in our dietary habits. Oh. You know? Like he was no longer eating chicken and I still ate chicken <laughs> and lamb, but he only ate fish. Okay, well mm-hmm. then, you know, so there were certain things that he would do. So I didn't necessarily have to worry about preparing the meals, but I still had to worry about all of the other things. I probably would have much rather prepared the meals, but whatever. <laughs> so fast forward to the co-parenting. Um, now in this situation, um, I just remember when, you know, when we had the conversation, like finally kind of like sat down and talked. And I said to him, like, I really want for us to be able to go through this process without being angry with each other, you know, the children need you or what have you. I want to be able to successfully co-parent. I want to be able to successfully share the responsibilities. I don't want to try to raise three children Mm -hmm. by myself when I'm making all of the decisions. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget, we were in the kitchen and he said to me that he felt more like an uncle or a big brother to the children. (laughs) Then he did a father. And I was like, so confused because for me, I'm like, well, that's not my responsibility. I can't cultivate the relationship between you and your children. That's something that you have to do. And what the situation has turned into is that, you know, with the visitation, I I set up and he signed off on this, but it never... um, didn't really materialize (laughs) the way it should have or wasn't consistent that since I was the custodial parent he would have the children three weekends out of the month 
I would have them the second weekend in a month. And when there were five Fridays in the month, I would have them that particular weekend. Mm -hmm. The moment that he had to start paying like a reasonable amount in child support, he told me that he was only going to get them every other weekend. He was supposed, we were supposed to share like um, winter break. We were supposed to alternate that. The summers, he's supposed to have them so many weeks out of the summer and we were supposed to alternate spring break. That was off the table. So ultimately what happened was I had the children 98% of the time and um, the communication was not what it, what it should be. We couldn't even talk. And even eight years later, because our children are teenagers now, um, he doesn't communicate with me. He mm-hmm. communicates directly um, with the children, but there's not been, there has not been the presence that I think there should be. Um, so everything essentially has been left up to me. So any decisions regarding their education, I make. So even when I have attempted to extend, you know, it's, there's no active participation. So when it comes to co-parenting, I would say, and this is not always the case, but however the, the setup was during the marriage is probably what is going to be after. And so because I had that primary role and responsibility, it has still um, been a significant role for me without the, without the assistance that I actually would appreciate and the assistance that I think that um, our children deserve. And I mean, now that they're older, it, um, I mean, they can see things mm-hmm. for themselves. And so there is no reason for me to say anything, you know, I just let them have their relationship, however it is that, you know, I don't stand in the way. I don't say, no, you can't see your father this weekend or anything like that. I've never done that. Um, but I've always encouraged my children well, why don't you ask your dad? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. I recognize that he still is not at a place in his life or his development where he um, where he can co-parent with me in a positive way. Because unfortunately, I think there's still probably a level of resentment because I don't think that he thought that I was going to go through with the divorce. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yeah, but that's what it is. (laughs) So you mentioned that you can't cultivate relationships Mm -hmm. between him and his children. Mm -hmm. What kind of um, insight would you provide? Because I know a lot of times there is a lot of bitterness, even with unmarried people who have children together. How did you manage or how do you manage to not um, hinder the children from, like you said, you've never said you can't see your dad and also not being vindictive to try to um, alter the way that they feel about him where you said you let them determine how they see things or how they feel about things. How can you help women who might 
they might feel some kind of way, you know, when you're going through a breakup or you're going through a divorce or what have you, Mm -hmm. um, how can they kind of manage to be neutral so that they're not disparaging their children's father to them? I have to tell you, it takes a whole lot of, um, it's a lot of work. It really is. So I won't sit here and say that in the very beginning that I wasn't like, (laughs) because I would be a lie. That is not, that is not because I was also angry. Mm -hmm. Um, I was angry because I felt like, A, I was a very good wife, mother, you know, like, and the reason behind our divorce, I just, you know, things that transpired to me, I'm like, you did all of that. You gave this up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That. So I was angry about that because I didn't go into a marriage envisioning myself being divorced. That's not what I wanted for myself. Um, and to be honest, I would, there's a part of me that would like to get married again, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think the longer I'm single, the more that probably change changes. But um it was actually there was something I don't recall specifically the situation, but I do remember my children saying to me, and it's really, it was really the girls who said, you know, when you say things about daddy you're talking about half of us. Mm. And I never prior to that really considered it because I was only thinking about how I felt and how I was wrong and how I felt the children Mm -hmm. were being um, basically getting the short end of the stick is how I felt about it because Mm -hmm. I'm like, these are great children. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You feel like you're advocating for them and they're feeling like you're going against my father who was half, you know, yeah. Right. And that was the wake up call for me. I'm like, you know what? You know, and I I mean, I know how I feel. It's almost like, like with my, with my father, I just say things about my father, you know, when he was present, when he was alive, Mm -hmm. but nobody else could like, Mm -hmm. no, that's off limits. So I had to think about that and put myself in in their shoes. So I, I do believe that as much as, you know, you may be experiencing some emotional turmoil from the demise or breakup of your relationship, you still got to think about, you know, the children and, and their feelings because they didn't ask to be born. You know, they can't choose their, their, their parent. Yeah. And, you know, you are, that is a part of them. So it, it mm-hmm. will make them feel bad. So I think it's about maturity and growth. And I'm not the same person that I was when I first got divorced, you know, versus where I am right now or where I was a few years ago. So I do think that it's just really important to kind of consider, um, yeah, definitely consider the feelings of your children. You may feel a certain way, but there are certain things that you absolutely should not say to your children and try not to expose them to whatever the differences are between you and the other parent. Um, Because sometimes adults will use the children as emotional pawns 
And mm-hmm. that, that is not fair to them. And it also doesn't help them as they're kind of witnessing how relationships are, even in a co-parenting relationship, or if you're still with the person or what have you. So I just think it's about a certain level of growth, maturity, and then having some consideration for the children that you have birthed. Yeah, that's that's good. And not as easy as no. you just stated, it's but not- uh, definitely something to aspire to and to consider, right? Yeah, it's um, definitely not. I guess just always kind of be mindful you know about it and try and do your own self-check as you can but but it's not easy so sometimes they push those buttons yeah and you forget the training yeah yourself (laughs) back in um so you said you might be open to being married again someday which means you got a date first right to to get to that point so how do women decide to start dating after divorce when you've got children and how do do you talk to your kids about it? Are you ready? Is it okay? Do you even have that conversation with them? Would you say, hey, here's my boyfriend. You know, how does that work? I think it does depend on the age of your children. Um, So I am not new to dating, but I have sort of been off the dating scene a little bit. I did have a relationship with someone after my divorce and I waited an entire year before my children met, you know, met him in person. Um, we were in a long distance relationship, but he was from here. So mm-hmm. that was the, the, the way that worked out actually is because when my children were at their dad's house, you know, and if he was here in town, I didn't have to worry about my children coming in, in contact with him until I was ready for them, A, to meet. And when I, you know, when I knew that he was consistent, but they always knew that I was on phone with someone. So they, they were aware. Um, and like I said, they were nine and six when the divorce were final, so, was final. So they were young. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, he passed away. It's It'll be three years in September, but he was the only man since the divorce that has ever been on vacation with us, you know, has been to the house. Now there were definitely boundaries that I set up. Mm-hmm. Cannot spend the night in my home with my children here. There are just certain boundaries mm-hmm. that I have just as a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, so my rule of thumb, even now with having 16 and 14 uh, year olds is that um, I am not going to introduce my children to any man that I don't think is going to be consistent or present. Okay. They do. So my children have encouraged me to date. Um, My son doesn't, he just doesn't have a, he doesn't care. I think it's different with boys, but the girls have been the one who have been saying, you need to date. In fact, the other day, Calise, the 14 year old, she said to me, um, you know, you really need to find somebody to date because you need to get married again and they need to have a child. And I said, they, meaning the person that I- She wants a step sibling? Wants a step sibling. (laughs) She's been watching too much TV. Yes. And I said, (laughs) well, I'm sorry, but I'm like three and a half, four years shy of you leaving to graduate and go to college. Your brother and sister are going away to college next year. 
I would prefer to date someone who either has a teenager or an adult child or two. I, I really, my preference is not to date someone who has a young child that I have to help in rearing mm-hmm. because I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. My children are independent. I don't have to worry about getting a babysitter or anything right. like that. I can kind of go as I choose to, to come and go. Um, and so she was like, oh, no, no, no. They need to be around my age too, but you need to date so you can get married. So I know my daughters want me to get well, Maybe that is that they've seen you happy in a, in a long-term re- relationship and they want to see you in that situation yeah. again. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a safe assessment. But, you know, I don't know, the men nowadays, <laughs> I've dated some 50-year-olds. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, it's a little hard. I think it comes when you least expect it. I really do. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> I don't think, I don't know, but hopefully that'll that'll be the case. Um, self-care. Self-care is something that everybody is all about nowadays. Don't disturb my peace and all this. You are busy. Yeah. You, I mean, like every aspect of your life is almost a full-time job, right? Mm-hmm. So parenting is a full-time job your full-time job is a full-time job you are involved with volunteer work and um the democratic the democratic movement of the southland yes yes and and however many (laughs) other things i'm not and then you wrote another book which we're going to talk about hopefully hopefully we can get to um how do you and it sounds loaded but how do you first of all even grant yourself permission to have time to yourself right because we know as mothers that's something that we sometimes struggle feeling like guilty for even wanting to take time to yourself but then how do you say I'm taking this time this is a priority you look great right now you got your makeup in your hair your nails so I know that you are you know taking time to yourself how do you find the time and how do you grant yourself that permission (laughs) that's hard because um, I oft, I feel guilty all the time, which is crazy. Um, but I've also, I think this year, have I've learned that like I have to make the time because I feel an overwhelming amount of stress because. I'm always ripping and running and, mm-hmm. you know, taking people here, doing something, putting, you know, somebody else first. And um, I have gotten to the point where, honestly, I've said, do I want to live or do I want to, you know, because stress is real. Yeah, it really is. And there are days where I feel so much stress that I'm like, okay, I gotta stop. So I have now learned something that I didn't do previously. I didn't take naps. Girl, because let me, let me tell you about the nap now. <laughs> I, that is my number one stress reliever. I'm like, yes. oh, it's getting hard today. Let me, let me yeah. go lay in this hammock. Yes. I Welcome. used to think, Welcome. yeah. I used to think, who got time to sleep? 
No. So last with the, I think it was really the pandemic that did it for me mm-hmm. because it, I, this may sound bad, but the pandemic occurred at the perfect time for me because I was like drowning seriously. Mm-hmm. So to be able to then work from home. So now I no longer have the two hour commute because of crazy Chicago traffic going to work and coming back like that. I found different things to do. So the hammock, I, I you know, redid my backyard so I could actually enjoy outside space. And I told my children, like, this is my space. Don't come out here. Um, I used to have my team free weekends and just if I didn't want to do anything, but just sit on my couch and I do that. So I just have, I mean, my children are old enough now where I can just say, look, yeah, I need that. Yeah. I need this time for me. I can't. And then they need their own space too. So that's been helpful. I think because as they've, they've gotten older, um, but yeah, the naps. Yeah. Even if it's just a 15 minute power nap. Yeah. Yeah. So I have learned how to incorporate that. Um, Another thing that I, and it's been very hard, but I had to learn how to speak up to set some boundaries, like with family and friends. I learned how to say no. And no has become a complete sentence. I no longer owe you an explanation. That part. Because I used to feel guilty about saying mm-hmm. no or feel like I got to give somebody an explanation. I don't have to give you an explanation at all. I'm sorry. And I'm going Sometimes that explanation is where they kind of creep in and try to convince you. Yeah. And then you second guess and then you're doing something you really don't want to do. Yes. So that has been something that I had to like learn how to embrace and feel comfortable and okay. And, um, Now I am trying a part of that self-care too that I'm working on. I'm a work in progress, people, is stop. I need to stop putting so much pressure on myself. I don't know. I've known you a long time. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But the other thing that I do that I enjoy are my walks. And I can also tell the difference. So like during the winter months, I was just like, no energy, no get up and go, nothing because I wasn't going to the gym. I still Mm -hmm. haven't been to the gym. But the moment that our weather we have had, I guess it's still spring. I don't know. You know, we get four seasons in one. (laughs) But like this week has been a great week because I've gone out to walk, just being able to get out of the house. And so everybody knows that my walks are my time. So what I, I, um, what I will do is I'll start my morning with a walk. And then when I'm done with work, since I'm working from home and there's no longer the transition between, you know, work home, um, I will go for a walk just to clear my mind because otherwise I got an attitude and mm-hmm. I'm nobody want to deal with that. <laughs> no. I don't want to deal with it sometimes. Sometimes I make myself mad. Like, really? You know. So just finding ways. I think sometimes we confuse self-care though with, oh, I'm going to go get my nails done or something like that. And I, I will say I have uh, every three weeks, even though the girls will ask like, oh, let me know when you want to get your nails done. Uh-uh. I sneak off and leave. Nice. 
and I go by myself and get my manicure and my pedicure. Mm -hmm. Um, But self-care doesn't always mean spending money. It could be, you know, I use the Calm app. That is my self-care me time that, you know, um, I try to use, do some of those. So I have the Fit On app and I'll do the meditation or just a different exercise. That's even if it's 10 minutes. So I would just say, find some carve out time for yourself, even if it is 10 minutes a day, even if it means, you know, sitting in your car, sometimes I will sit in my car in the garage. Me too. Wait a minute, Gina. They come in there because they hear the garage door open. And after like about 10 minutes, one of them peeking, are you okay? Yeah. I'm like, no, I guess I'm done now. Yeah. Yes. I thought it was just me. No, that is my thing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, they will call me like, where are you? In the garage. <laughs> so you know, you just need that time sometimes to, like you say, transition to yeah. go. Because you're out in the world doing something mm-hmm. and then you're coming into the house and you know, as soon as you hit that door, somebody needs something. Right. Exactly. That is, so listeners, <laughs> time in comment below and let us know how many times a week do you get caught in the garage de-stressing before you go in the house right we need to know (laughs) it's not just us so I know another thing um with you and I'm sure a lot of women also um especially with us being home during the pandemic we're cutting down on the commute time right but then there's kind of this unspoken expectation that now you're available more hours as well so I know I've caught you working after hours yes um how are we balancing the home life and work whole (sighs) arrangements that is there is it even possible that's like the biggest question that we've had since people started working it does not exist now, I, I did try to set boundaries and I have set boundaries with work, but I'm also a workaholic and I had to acknowledge and admit that I'm a workaholic, which I definitely need to work on. But what I did for my colleagues at work, I started to put my out of office on every evening because here's what happens when you have colleagues who don't have a life or who are also (laughs) workaholics like you. They will send you an email at 11 o'clock at night, right? But my crazy self got the laptop open and I see the email and I'm pissed Mm -hmm. off because they've sent me an email at 11 o'clock at night. Now, maybe for them, they're like, oh, well, I'm sending it now so she can see it in the morning. Mm -hmm. Well, I have... Okay, so I could be a little extra. What? No. (laughs) So in meetings, I have told them about the setting in Microsoft Outlook where you can send the email for the next business day. Oh, Lord. They probably talked about you so bad. Like, do she know they in the I they in the DMs talking to each other during the does she know that she could also wait till the next morning to open her email? But they will email you on weekends too. And I'm like, I don't know. But it's an email, not an instant message though, right? It's an email, but still I just I, I just believe that to the extent possible, everybody needs to try to be respectful of the work-life balance because here's what happens. When you get an email from someone, 
your initial reaction is that you do need to respond. I, well, at least for me, um, only, and, it, and it's because, you know, I, there are a couple of different reasons. I mean, I'm a black woman in a leadership role at a R1 uh, research institution mm-hmm. where there is this pressure to always, you know, be on point and be on top of things. And you can't slip up, at least, I mean, whether it's the pressure that we put on ourselves, but I hear from some of my other colleagues, you know, who are Mm -hmm. Black women at the institution. So whether it's the pressure that we place on ourselves or the expectations that we place on ourselves or what other people have of us. I mean, I, I, I will say Black women, Black men, we do have to go, you know, beyond the call of duty sometimes, right, wrong, or otherwise. So um, there is like this, I think, um, pressure to make sure that, you know, you don't miss anything or you're responsive or what have you. But I did share that with people um, and even with my, my staff members. So what I try not to do, I won't send anyone an email after, after five o'clock or okay. on the weekends. I don't do that. Or if there is a time where, and I also respect when my staff is off work or they're off for the day or what have you, um, I will send the email on delay. Or if it's something where I need to get the information out, I will say, I hope you're not reading this email while you're on vacation or while you're mm-hmm. off work today. Or I apologize for reaching out to you when you're off. So I always try to make that a practice because I'm trying to also train people to how I want them to, you know, work with me in that regard. So I will say that people have learned how to use that delay feature that I'm um, sending that email. Well, like, you taught me something new because I, I, I was just thinking, I send the email now, they get to it when they see it. And if they're working over the weekend too, then they'll be ahead of the game. You're well, welcome. You know, I'm a Virgo and I know folks talk about Virgos. So we, you know, we just do things a little differently, (laughs) but um, work-life balance is very, um, it's hard. Um, But, you know, you, you, I don't think it exists. I don't, you can try and make it work, but I, I just don't, it's very difficult. And, and then there's even been so much talk about how during the pandemic, how women, have really experienced the brunt of, you know, we're still balancing everything, even, yes. you know. So well, it, I know in my own life, I feel busier. Like at the beginning of the pandemic, it was one, like not wonderful as it yeah, relates yeah. to the actual pandemic, but right. as it relates to everything shutting down and, yes. and kind of just resetting and yeah. having a moment to breathe, it was great in that, in that respect. But now I'm like, I just really feel like all I do is drive people around all day. Yeah. I, I, I probably drive just as much as I work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is different. This this year is different. I think it's so much so that everybody's trying to get back to normal. So mm-hmm. there's this competing battle of getting back to normal, but still kind of like slowly, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Now I know um, we talked about at the beginning, mm-hmm 
your book, Women Who Persevere. Mm -hmm. You also contributed to another book, I Am My Sister's Keeper, compiled by Talisha Berry. Mm -hmm. And I think there were 16 contributors. And ironically, a fun fact, this was also the title of your dissertation for your PhD. Um, And I know that your passion and your expertise is in mentoring and being a life coach, um, helping people to align to their purpose. Can Mm -hmm. you give us a little bit about um, your contribution to this book? Yeah. So the reason why I was actually drawn to the, uh, the anthology is because of the title. And that's what I told Talisha. I was like, this was, you know, my, my dissertation. Um, but so my contribution, um, the title of my chapter is Work Your Plan, Sis. And basically, it's where I'm giving tips um, for women who are considering making that transition um, of, you know, getting a divorce or filing for a divorce. And um, so I talk about, you know, um, the financial aspect of getting yourself um, in together as far as developing that plan, um, making sure that you practice self-care. And one of the important tips that um, I also give in terms of developing a plan is to um, reach out um, or connect with a therapist because mm. as much as in the past it used to be taboo and in our community we didn't talk about therapy or going to see a mental health professional but I just don't that was actually seeing a counselor that was what helped me make that choice like okay I got to go ahead and go through with this because there were so many things that came out during my sessions mm-hmm. you know and I realized that my mental and emotional health was, you know, was very important. So I talk about that. Um, I talk about the importance of learning how to ask and receive help because so, sometimes it's difficult. And it's been difficult for me to ask for help. Um, but I've learned how to, you know, to do that. And and then having um, support, you know, from your sister circle. So that's very important because I had a circle of women when I was going through my divorce that, oh, they contributed just in so many different ways. But I realized that as there were certain things that I just couldn't burden them with, which is where mm-hmm. also continuing with working with um, a counselor was very important because that's what I kind of <laughs> use the counselor for, mm-hmm. you know, because you don't want to overwhelm. And, and because when you have really close friends, they begin to take on some of the emotions that you're experiencing as right. well. And I started to recognize that with um, with one of my friends who was married or is still married. But, you know, the one thing that I did want to do is, uh, you know, dish all the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. Your household is, yeah. you know. So I recognized that quickly and I was really glad that I was just in tune and we could have honest conversations because she actually started to share with me, like, you know, some things that were bothering her. And I'm like, no, you can't just because I'm going through no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so um and it was just um oh, and then I also talk about not starting a relationship 
soon after your divorce or any, even if you're dating somebody, like don't jump into another relationship soon after because you do need that time for yourself so that you can heal and so that you are not bringing the baggage from your previous relationship into a new relationship. And I, for myself, when I started um, dating um, O, who I was in the relationship with for seven, well, for four, five years, I was so focused on, I don't want to make the same mistakes that I made Mm -hmm. in this relationship because I wanted the relationship to work. You know what I mean? But that can also, in in a way, create some some problems in the new relationship. But in that relationship, we had such a great open line of communication that, you know, that wasn't an issue, but I did like in the, you know, sometimes you can just be so focused on, you don't want to fail at another relationship. Yeah. Because regardless as to, you know, how confident you are or how strong you are, when you're talking about a divorce, you are going to feel like you're, you failed. I mean, and I struggled with that. I struggled with feeling like, man, you know, I'm the one, I'm the black sheep of the family. That's how I I felt. You know, my brother has been married for, um, I think almost 26 years. Wow. Yeah. My parents were married for 49 years. And then here I am, I'm like, I'm the one who has to get, you know. And so I did feel like I I failed, but then I had to change my way of thinking. No, I had the, the courage not to stay in a relationship that was not um, in my best interest. And that was, you know, causing me an immense amount of, of pain. So mm-hmm. um, so pretty much I'm, I'm providing tips um, and just kind of outlining some key tips to developing a plan um, when you're going through the transition. So it was a lot of fun um, to be able to, you know, share and, and contribute, you know, it was an honor um, as well. And then there are a lot of other, you know, different stories that are in the book, just talks about different aspects of life. I mean, because essentially when you're talking about being a sister's keeper, you know, you want to be able to be there for your sister, whether it's a biological sister, friend, cousin, what have you, be able to be um, a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on. I mean, that's what a sister's keeper is, someone who's going to be there to offer support and to help uplift, you know, someone when they're going through. So, yeah. So go buy the book, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> buy that book by Women Who Persevere. Um, I know, obviously, we are on the Light It Up podcast right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you've written two books. Mm-hmm. What else do you have going on? Whew. You're a life coach. And- <laughs> yes. So I have been working with um, women who are trying to um, navigate their professional you know, career and make some moves in transition. And also I'm working with a client who is looking to enter into a graduate program. So I try to serve as, you know, serving as a academic life coach, success coach, mentor, 
Um, so I'm working on that and I am preparing to start um, working on another book. All so, right. Is it too soon to tell us about the book? Uh, <laughs> maybe. It may. Okay, so next time. Uh, yes. Yeah, soon, time. soon. I'm sure we're talking about it. Very soon because, you know, I've given myself my own little personal deadline. You know, I always kind of do things that I, I shouldn't have put an immense amount of pressure on myself, but I've got a goal. So hopefully we'll be able to talk about it very soon. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, one other thing and kind of piggybacking on what you just said, I know that you thrive in helping people navigate certain systems like bureaucracies. You said mm -hmm. that you are assisting one of your clients with preparing for a graduate program. Mm -hmm. um, how do you help people with, because you are definitely um, you're an executive director. Is that still your title? I don't, I can't, I know you get those promotions. I might be a title behind. No, um, I am still the executive director for the Council on Teacher Education at UIC. Yeah. yeah so you um, have experience and you talk about being in a leadership position as an, a Black woman. Mm -hmm. um, how is that, like, first of all, having the courage to even apply to enter into that whole system, but then also continuously improving and, and honing your craft and moving up and bringing other people along. Mm -hmm. um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I, so I've been in this role, it will be six years in December and uh, whoo, it has been a a different type of experience in the last few years, um, simply because um, we are dealing with a teacher shortage, you know, mm. not only in the state of Illinois, but across the country. And then you also coupled with the fact that um, the demographics of the teaching um, profession is not reflective of the students who are sitting in the seats in in our classrooms across the country. It's really a challenge trying to recruit people of color to enter into the teaching um, profession. And that can be very draining and, and exhausting to say the very least. However, I, I still enjoy you know, what I do, um, but I'm also recognizing that you know, it may be time for a little bit of a change um, to do something different because, you know, I, I am a firm believer that, you know, when you have um, done the work that you need to do in a certain position, it's time to give someone else an opportunity to take on a leadership role. So I do believe in succession planning. Mm -hmm. And um, I've had a conversation, you know, with people in my office saying, okay, want to try and prepare you. Are you ready? Um, so I do have aspirations to do something um, different. You know, um, I do see myself remaining in higher education. Um, my focus has really been with the work that I currently do, um, focusing on compliance and policy and legislative um, matters related to teacher education in the state of Illinois. So that is still an interest 
um, for me, but probably on a more broader scale. So we'll see um, what happens with that. But it is um, just working in this particular field in higher education. Um, oftentimes, I am the only one at the table, meaning mm-hmm. the only Black woman mm-hmm. at the table. And um, being in that situation and then also being relatively young in comparison to my counterparts who are in those same spaces, sometimes, you know, you may have a tendency to kind of like question whether you're in the right space. But, you know, um, and I'm sharing that because, you know, sometimes people just think that when you get to a certain level, that those aren't thoughts that go through your mind, but it's constantly going through my mind. You know, how can I be um, in an environment where there are other people um, who are worthy of being in leadership roles, you know, being at the table too? Is there equity across the board in the institution that I'm working in where there are um, areas or spaces where you can continue continuously progress? I'll just say that when you find yourself in, in a situation professionally where those opportunities may not be readily available, be it because you know there are lack of retirements or mm-hmm. just for other you know myriad reasons, then sometimes you have to make a decision and figure out you know what's going to be the next the next step. It's all uh, a process. I think what helps me is the fact that I do have. Um, so even though I've served in the capacity as being a mentor to several women, I also have mentors as well. So that in my mind, I was just yeah. going to ask about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think having a mentor, I don't care what level you're, you're at is very important. And then also knowing the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. So everybody should try to have, if they can, a sponsor because there is a big difference between the two because your sponsor is going to talk you up to other people. And I could probably um, share this, you know, I don't, it's not really a secret, but recently there were several senior uh, level people who recommended me, you know, to apply for a position. Mm-hmm. I applied. I didn't get the position. I didn't even get an interview. And for a minute, you know, I was a little, I was very disappointed. Um, but then I realized, you know, even well, with my sponsor and my mentor actually talking to me, they were like, you know what, that just means that that wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. And learning how to accept that I think is also key to growth and development as well. And, you know, and and so I realized for myself that right now it, it is not the best time for me to make a transition. And, you know, since I do have this habit of planning, you know, (laughs) I've got two children that I have to get off to college as far as getting those applications in, like, that's kind of my focus and then once I get them squared away, then I work on the next. Back thing. in the pool. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So everything with, you know, in due time and balance. So we have talked about a lot um, over the last 
few minutes. Yeah. We have talked about the books that you've written. We have talked about your life as a wife and then divorcee, a mother, a leader, a mentor, and a friend. Um, I don't even know, like, I'm sure we're missing something, but maybe that'll be for a second time for you to invite me out to interview you. But um, I know I've been plugging your books and your different ventures over the course of this interview. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that we're missing or that we didn't touch on that you wanted to kind of just tell your your listeners and your viewers? Because again, this is just a chance for them to get to know you better. Yeah. Huh, that's, see, I always like it when people just ask me a question. <laughs> um, let's see, is there anything that I'm, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, you know what we didn't talk about and we could definitely talk about in a part two, we touched on it. Well, you touched on it about me launching the podcast and how you thought that, you know, it's going to be focused on more of, you know, divorce and that sort of thing. I do want to say that um, that with the podcast in particular, um, I wanted to create a space where I'm highlighting women and just everyday women who are, you know, doing some great things. And I always think that there is always room to talk about, you know, some other topics like relationships and divorce and, and that sort of thing. Um, so there will be more of that this season. Um, but I would love to just have, you know, an opportunity. Listen to me. I'd love to have an opportunity <laughs> to come back and let you interview me <laughs> on Light It Up. <laughs> so, um, but no, I just, you know, I really want to thank everyone really for the support um and tuning in to the podcast I try my best to you know there are certain topics that you know sometimes I don't talk about like I don't necessarily talk about some of the emotionally traumatizing events that have transpired because I want to keep this podcast you know very positive and uplifting and I do think that there's time and place to talk about certain certain topics, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not that I won't ever touch on that, but just in case anybody is wondering why I don't necessarily, and I've had a couple of episodes where um, certain topics or certain, you know, situations that have occurred across our country have just really weighed um, heavily on me. But um, I just want to thank you all for tuning in and Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to kind of, you know, um, ask me questions so people can get to know me a little bit better. This was actually fun being on the It was. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I thank you for having me. Um, thank you so much for turning over the mic for just a little bit, um, which was really wonderful. And I'll let you have the last word. Oh, wow. Okay. Well. Here's the thing, folks. If you would like to purchase my book, Women Who Persevere, Navigating Motherhood with Power and Grace, or I Am My Sister's Keeper, 
you can find it on my website at www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also follow and subscribe to the podcast, Light It Up Podcast. I'm on Instagram. See, Kashana, you need to help me out with the whole Instagram. You can follow me. (laughs) You can follow the podcast on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, And, you know, just share with a friend, family member, and leave a review. I check emails. I will read your email. Um, if you And then if you have a suggestion on a topic or a guest, send me an email, info at ajinamohammed.com. So um, thank you um, for the opportunity, Kashana. That's funny that I'm saying that on my show. <laughs> But no, this was really, really fun. And I couldn't think of a better person to interview me. So Kashana, you're going to always be my go-to person Aww. for this stuff because you're a natural at it. So it's, it's all in the genes, <laughs> all in the genes. Um, but thank you all for tuning in um, for this week's episode of Light It Up. I hope there was something that I said that Um, you found to be useful. Um, So until next time, don't forget to continue to light it up and shine bright like a diamond. Thanks for joining me this week on Light It Up. Make sure you visit my website at www.lightituppodcast.com or www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also find me on social media using the handle at Light It Up Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or you can simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next time, light it up and shine bright like a diamond.